far away Let's talk story It's where my mama was born It's where I come from It's where my daddy fell in love Not long ago Aloha everyone, this is Larry Camp and welcome to the Nobody Knows Your Story podcast which just happens to come with a side of Hawaiiana. Nobody Knows Your Story is a podcast which I believe will impact each listener in a positive way. As you listen to the experiences that have transformed, shaped, and guided each guest, perhaps you'll better understand your own personal journey. Some will surprise, some will make you question, and some will inspire, but all will leave you in a better place for listening in. As for the Hawaiiana, well, that's just a big part of my life story. So I invite you to check in from time to time, or better still, add Nobody Knows Your Story to your list of favorite podcasts. You'll enjoy hearing the life experiences of people just like you. I am sitting here wanting memories to teach me To see the beauty in the world through my own eyes I am sitting here wanting memories to teach me To see the beauty in the world through my own eyes You used to rock me in the cradle of your arms You said you'd hold me till the pains of life were gone You said you'd comfort me in times like these And now I need you, now I need you And you Through my own eyes 
voice that whispers all I need to hear. I know a please, a thank you, and a smile will take me far. I know that I am you, and you are me, and we are one. I know that who I am is numbered in each grain of sand. I know that I've been blessed again. Sitting here wanting memories to teach me To see the beauty in the world through my own eyes I am sitting here wanting memories to teach me To see the beauty in the world through my own eyes everyone, and welcome to Season 3 of the Nobody Knows Your Story podcast. If you've listened to Seasons 1 and 2, you heard the life stories of 67 people, and like me, I'm sure many of these stories had a positive effect on your life. We just heard Ka'ili'i Reichel sing Wanting Memories, and Ka'ili'i is just, well, he's not just a favorite of mine, but also of my guest today, Jeremy Reynolds. Now, Ka'ili'i will be featured twice more in today's podcast singing Ka'onoi Anauhea and Iomai. You know, I feel like I need to mention that, you know, I consider Jeremy to be a friend. And, you know, we became acquainted several years ago. He provided a lot of comfort and advice, encouragement when Judy and I lost our son, Dusty. And he was also gracious enough to write the foreword uh, to my book, Nobody Knows, They Just Want You to Think They Do. I guess another interesting fact about Jeremy is that we both kind of share an appreciation and a love of Hawaii. So we're going to be talking about that today, too, no doubt. Jeremy, welcome, my brother. Hey, thanks so much for having me on there. It's good to see you again. We, we've had some fun times, uh, you know, mostly just, I guess, talking and texting and emailing. But uh, I, I enjoyed the time that you spent the night here and that uh, we sat up and talked kind of late uh, just about life and things. And, you know, we found at that time, I think we had a lot in common. Oh, yeah. I really enjoyed that evening. It's a great memory of mine. Uh, when was that? Like, it was, de- it was definitely before the pandemic, but man, it feels... Like it's been a few years now. Um, I think it was like uh, 2019, maybe. Okay. Maybe. Yeah, I think uh, like February of 19. Yeah, it's been a while. Pandemic kind of got in there and messed everybody's life up. <laughs> yeah, it's just unbelievable. I, how have you uh, how have you been with the pandemic? You, uh, you and your family have been holding up okay? You know, we've been pretty fortunate. We have really kind of uh, skirted the pandemic ourselves. Uh, Judy and I have. We've had some family members affected. Judy's mom actually, I may have mentioned it to you, but she actually got COVID back right around Thanksgiving and ended up passing away. So that was wow. that was kind of a shock to us because she'd been vaccinated, but she was also had the underlying conditions and was elderly. And I think we just hit the 1 million mark, they said here, of people in the United States who have passed from COVID. Certainly, we all know people who have. Yeah. I think, uh, I mean, our family's weathered okay. We, nobody got infected for the most part. But uh, I have a brother that has Down syndrome, and he lives in a group home out in uh, California, Pomona, California. He has uh, several roommates. One of the roommates, uh, he's been roommates since 1979. Oh, wow. Uh, his name is Chris. 
and Chris got infected. Were ha- they were pretty good about, you know, trying to protect themselves. But unfortunately, one of the, the uh, caretakers went home and she got in- unknowingly got infected by her husband, who probably got it from work. And so she introduced the virus in- inside the group home. And so Chris got infected and he ended up being put on the ventilator and he died. But I mean, I, I remember Chris ever since I was a little kid. And I mean, like I said, 1979, can you imagine? I mean, being roommates, but like it's your best friend. And yeah. and so Brian has downs and he doesn't really, he kind of understands the concept of death, but not really. And so I think uh, of all the people I know, Brian has been, the most affected in the pandemic and yeah, but it's just been unreal what it, what it's done to, you know, society. And, you know, there's been pros and cons. I think a lot of people have reevaluated their lives and what they're doing and how they're spending their time and all that. But there's, there's also been a lot of cons I think too. So it's been quite the roller coaster, I think. No, for sure. And, you know, I just heard this morning that, they were asking one of these doctors about, uh, oh, that whatever the new variant is or whatever. And he said, you know what, my opinion, uh, this, this is here to stay. There'll be different variants that will come down the pike. We'll get, you know, new boosters or whatever that will, but this is going to be here. This isn't going away. So yeah, I, I, I mean, I guess that's the way it is. I mean, until we hear different, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, but at the same time, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm no longer willing to let this affect my life like it has the last couple of years. I, I, I'm, you know, I, like I said uh, before in a previous conversation that I went on a cruise with the family. I mean, we also went on a Florida trip uh, to Disney World. So I could have said, oh, you know, let's, you know, we, we can't go because of COVID or whatever. But we went and nobody got infected and we had a great time. Uh, I think you just have to live life, you know, you can't, you can't let it uh, bog you down. I think that's how most people are reacting now. I mean, there was this hunker down for a long time and people are like, you know what, we're, we're going to live life. And we just got back off a cruise yesterday. It was packed. It was crowded and, you know, everybody's vaccinated, you know, that's, that's what they're requiring for the cruises. But I mean, other than that, it was pretty much normal, just a normal cruise. We've been on a few of them and I didn't notice any difference except that the, unfortunately the, 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 the employees had to still mask up. So they're, they're not happy about it, but you know, that's, that's carnival's rule for them right now. Yeah. That's been my experience as well, but you know what? It's life goes on. So, you know, we kind of talked about what we're doing right now. Why don't we talk about your story? Let's talk about your life because for the listeners out there, I, I know Jeremy's story. <laughs> At least I know most of it. I, but like everybody I've had on my podcast, I always learn something, even from family members and friends from high school and everything. So I know I'm going to learn some stuff about you today, Jeremy, that I didn't know. So, hey, take it away. You know, hit what you want. Talk about what you want. And uh, I'll interject when I have a thought or two. Cool. I, I guess uh, the place to start is a lot of people know me. The world knows me as, you know, the guy behind the CS letter. For those that may not be uh, familiar with it, it's basically a, a letter or a document that I wrote to Mormon church authorities uh, back in 2013. The document went, went viral and ended up causing some uh, waves for the church, I think, over the last uh, 10 years or so. So it's been quite a, a journey for myself and for my family. And 
uh, I'm still kind of pinching myself today and, you know, the things that happened, happened. But yeah, it's, that's what I'm known for. But I'm, you know, a lot of people don't really, really realize that I'm actually a, a private, more introverted guy. So I'm not really out there um, too much. You know, sometimes people ask me to, for, you know, to do a podcast or whatever, and I'm kind of hard to make that happen. <laughs> you know, bless your heart, Larry, you been trying to get this to happen and I've kind of been dragging my feet so it's just uh just my nature I'm you know very private yeah I uh I consider myself a family man I have three children but they're either teens or tweens so I have a 16 year or 15 year old that's getting ready to get his learner's permit which is quite scary right now I don't know it's, it's really scary actually that the idea that you're giving the keys to a six thousand pound uh uh, box for them to drive around at high speeds. Uh, it's just scary, but I guess I'll roll with it. Um, I have a thirteen, I have a twelve-year-old, and I have a ten-year-old. So it's a it's a it's a fun stage in parenthood. I'm actually enjoying this stage a lot, uh, just to be able to to banter and and to joke with the with the kids and enjoy their company. My background is I grew up in I was born and raised in Southern California. Um, I moved around in Orange County and L.A. counties. I went to school in Irvine, California. My, uh, I guess the noteworthy, some of the noteworthy uh, events in my life. So I was born hearing and I was diagnosed with hearing loss about three or four years old and started wearing hearing aids for the next 20 years or so until I got what is known as cochlear implants. And so a cochlear implant is basically bypassing two-thirds of your natural hearing system to go directly into the cochlea. So I consider it one of the one of the marvels or miracles, if you will, of the modern age, the ability to functionally restore a hearing sense, a, a, a human sense. Yeah. So I uh, I had now, two Jeremy, you didn't get those cochlear implants though until you were in your twenties, right? Yeah, I got them after my mission. So yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. So you you basically had hearing aids from about you know, I guess age three or four through like you say, your mission experience into your twenties. And so I guess what I'm saying wanna ask, because I think probably other people would be interested, if you didn't have your hearing aids, could you hear at all? No, I wouldn't be able to hear a jetliner's and a jetliner's engine or I mean I could be right next to it and I couldn't hear it. Yeah. I could feel it. You know, right. but but and but to go from that to putting my cochlear implants on and being being able to hear like the spoon, uh, you know, against the macaroni and cheese or the little uh, the bubbles on 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 a carbonated drink, you know, that kind of gives you the 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 depths uh, that I go to. So yeah, I experienced it every day. I mean, just uh, just uh, an hour ago, just completely deaf. Uh, and when I put my cochlear implants on, I can hear everything that's going on. I can have this conversation. So it really is a marvel of the modern age. I mean, it's just a, it, my, the, the difference of my life uh, with having it, just um, unbelievable. That this actually brings up a funny story. So before my cochlear implants, I would mostly communicate with other people, like family members of my dad through like the pager. This is back in the 90s. We would have like specific codes to communicate, you know, like um, four and four was I'm on my way home or something like that, you know, just like code messages. 
Um, also with your TTYs and uh, have interpreters and all that stuff. And so I went from that to after I got my cochlear implant, um, I started using cell phones. One of the holy grails of cochlear implants is the ability to talk on the phone. So there's only a small percentage of people with cochlear implants that can talk on the phone. It, it, it's just a skill that you have to practice and acquire. So I, I remember, I mean, this is back in 2004, just listening to, you know, different audiobooks. And, you know, it, there wasn't a lot of podcasts back then, but just whatever, you know, whatever audio that I can get with people talking or reading books and just kind of follow along with it. But one of the funny things is I uh, somehow got myself involved in an MLM back in BYU. It was just like uh, one of those marketing companies. And so I just, I would call people all over the country. It was a really, it was a learning experience for me just talking to you know, males and females and all these different accents from all over the country, the, the the difference between somebody in Texas and somebody in Boston, for example. And so I got a phone call from my dad one day asking me why he got a $700 phone bill from Verizon. <laughs> and I didn't understand how uh, cell phone minutes worked. So I got a real quick lesson. Uh, that weekend on how uh, cell phone minutes work. So that kind of gives you an idea of the transformation that was taking place, you know, after I got my cocaine plan. So it's uh, it's been transformative for me and life-changing for for me, for sure. Oh, no doubt. And, and now you have the unlimited minutes plan, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I paid that off, but it was just, it was a big learning experience. I, I Of course, I made no money with the MLM, but you know what? It actually gave me that confidence and the practice I needed to talk on the phone. And, you know, that paid dividends uh, for other areas of my life, including, you know, my career talking with clients. Yeah. So just a funny story there. My hearing loss has definitely been, I don't know if I want to use the word obstacle, but just, you know, a challenge that I've had to deal with my, my entire life. You know, so this brings on, you know, a side subject that maybe we can talk down down the road. But after I left the, the Mormon, like when I was a Mormon, um, I was big on free agency and, you know, free choice and all that, free will. But after I left the church and started looking back at my life and some of the things that were happening, you know, like, for example, just getting diagnosed with hearing loss and having to grapple with that, it really put me on a trajectory in a way of life that in a lot of ways, I feel like I didn't have a lot of choices, you know, like I, I, I can't, you know, I couldn't be, uh, you know, an Air Force pilot, for example, if I wanted to, cause I, I can hear in the, you know, you know, in the plane, whatever I have to communicate with um, the, the, the ship or whatever. It's like a lot of doors closed, so to speak. You know, other examples, like just growing up Mormon and just the, the, the mindset and the concept that comes with being in a high demand religion. So I've had to really think about life and what things mean, you know, what's the purpose of life and what's my purpose and, you know, what's the role of free agency or free will and how does other things come into play? One thing I really struggled with um, was I was just recently diagnosed uh, with ADHD, which I don't have the H part, the hyperactive, but it's like the ADD. It's just, uh, 
what it basically means is that you have a superpower with something that you're super focused on or super interested in, interested in. You're like super focused on it and you get it done. Uh, the CS letter, for example, was something that I'm still surprised today that I did it. It's not just the CS letter, but everything after, you know, all the rebuttals to apologists, which is thousands of pages of rebuttals. And I'm just looking at that like, you know, holy shit, how did I do all that? And now I realize it's because of the ADD part. But on the other side, it's also an obstacle because with things that you're not really interested in, you you procrastinate on it and you just kind of kick it down the road and it just becomes it just becomes uh, difficult to do. Yeah. So that got me thinking about, wow, you know, I just got, I got diagnosed with that in my, like I'm 41 now. So at 40 years old, I mean, I wish I had known about this earlier so that I could have strategies and different ways of dealing with it, you know, understanding like this is just how my brain works. And if I do it this way, I can get things done. You know, it's, but I didn't have those strategies. So it's been a struggle and it's been, you know, um, just a struggle in life. And so I just, so that brought me into the question of, you know, well, free well and all that. Like, did I, so it, the point I'm making is that after you leave a high demand religion, it's not just about analyzing the religion. It's also about analyzing your life in the context of what you thought what you knew was true. And so you realize that the things that you thought were true and that were your life principles and values end up being kind of murky, uh, not so clear anymore. So you kind of have to um, rebuild your life and your values and your principles and, and you know, how you want to move forward. So it's a, it's a big mind job uh, for sure. And Larry, I, I'm sure you, you know what I'm talking about. You experienced the same thing. You, you came from a high demand religion and understand, <laughs> you know, yeah. the, the mind job that comes from that. No doubt. I mean, we thought we had all the answers and Is it, exactly. Yeah. And when you realize I don't have all the answers. And as a matter of fact, I'm not even sure about anything. Then I think that the one thing I, I do know is that I'm going to enjoy each day. I'm going to try to get the most out of my life because this could be it. I don't yeah. know. I'm, I'm always hopeful that there's something beyond this. As a matter of fact, that's one of the things we were talking about that night we were here at the house, just about that we can't know. I mean, some people will tell you they'll bear testimony and say they know this or that. I believe they feel that. There's no doubt about it. I, I don't question that they believe that. But in the end, they don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just, just like anybody who wants to say, I'm an atheist. I know that there's nothing beyond this life. They don't know. They, exactly. That's just, again, what they believe. So I'm okay with that, though. I'm okay not knowing. I'm hopeful, as I've mentioned many times in these podcast interviews, that I'll see my son again, my parents, my friends, my family. But I don't know. So yeah, let's get the most out of life. Let's make these friendships meaningful and lasting. And and uh, yeah, so I, I'm with you there. I totally get it. I love it. And, and and since we're on this topic, I think that mindset actually makes life more exciting and more adventurous because it it leaves open the uh, like it leaves open possibility. When you say I don't know. It, it just leaves open the possibility of of discovery of finding out new things. Whereas if, and this, I mean, there's like two terms, there's Gnostic and agnostic. So the Gnostic applies to both sides, both theist and atheist. So 
you got the religious people saying, I know without a shadow of doubt, of a doubt, uh, with every fiber of my being that so, you know, X, Y, Z is true. And then you have the atheist saying there's, I know for certainty that there's nothing after this, you know, done over. It's just, to me, that's just that mindset. It's just, um, it, it makes life, it, it, life sucks. I think, I think it, because you're, you're limiting the adventures and discovery and new ways of seeing things because of that mindset. So I really appreciate that mindset. And I've really tried, uh, I tried, you know, super hard to keep myself in check, making sure that I don't become, you know, gnostic about things. I mean, even things that seem pretty certain, like I'll even say, I don't know for a hundred percent that the Mormon church is not true. And I don't say that because I, I think that the church is true. I'm saying that because I want to leave that 0.01% possibility that I could be wrong. You know, like I'm willing to be in the position to say, you know what, anything's possible. We live in this crazy universe that we still don't understand in a lot of ways. And we're still trying to grapple, you know, trying to grapple with we. We, we don't really understand, for example, for example, what dark matter is, you know, it, there's like billions and billions of stars and suns and galaxies. And it, I mean, there's black holes and there's galaxies within those black holes. And we just can't, we, we just can't conceive of it. And so it, to me, there's the height of arrogance to say that we're hundred percent certain about anything. Like to me, this universe is just so, so strange and so mysterious and so crazy that the last thing we should do is be so dogmatic and certain about things. So that's kind of my take on it. Yeah. And, and just as we would be incredibly enlightened if we were to go back 300 years in history with what we know, and this is so funny when you think about it, I've got a cell phone and I drive a car and I do these things. But if I went back 300 years in history and I tried to explain these things to the people, then I wouldn't even know what to tell them. Well, I have this car. You put gas in it. What's gas? Well, it's this, you know, it comes from from fossil fuels, oil, Uh, you know? So, I mean, even though I know, and I use all this stuff, I wouldn't be able to explain it because of my limited knowledge on those subjects. So just as we might think ourselves to be quite enlightened compared to people's hundreds of years ago, Think about all, like you just said, that we don't know about the different galaxies and the black holes and all this. If this, if the people here on this planet can get along and not eliminate themselves here through either, you know, global warming or war or whatever, who knows? The discoveries will be a hundred or two hundred or three hundred years from now. So, I mean, those are exciting times, and it's kind of eh, in a way, kind of like, well, I'm glad I'm here now, but man, it would be kind of fun to see what's going on in a couple hundred years too. Yeah, I love it. And uh, yeah, it's just it's just funny. Um, I, th- I heard a quote once that it's like there was a UFO invasion by aliens on the planet that the whole world would unite together against it. And we would realize basically our problems are, are petty, you know, like these little land grabs, like, you know, what Russia's doing with Ukraine, for example. Uh, it's just stupid, it, it, you know, in the light at the grander scale. Like, why are we doing this stuff? And there's just great, there's just strange stuff that's happening. I mean, the UFO stuff, uh, it's been pretty interesting. I don't really have a position on it, but like just reading, but just looking at the stories of the, the fighter. I mean, 
if there's an opinion that I value, it's fighter pilots in the United States Air Force. Like these are professionals, you know, they, they, they're not given these uh, $50 million jets for, for, because they um, just graduated from school. Like they are professionals. And so just seeing uh, the testimony that they, they shared uh, that's collaborated with evidence from the ships and radars, like the stuff that happened over in San Diego when they were doing uh, training drills, it's just it's just really strange uh, stuff that they happen, and we're still trying to understand it. But um, you know, like what used to be kind of a uh, a subject that everybody rolled their eyes on, no UFOs and green aliens. It's now becoming a subject that Congress is talking about. You have uh, people in the intelligence community and the military community saying. I don't know what, we don't know what this is. We can't explain it, but it looks like we got to understand it because it's a real potential national security threat. So it just, it goes back. The reason why I bring this up, it's a tie back to the point of what we thought we knew, you know, like UFOs, it's just fake or whatever, starting to become like a serious conversation. And, and, and the knowledge of an extraterrestrial, uh, contact or species would, can, would fundamentally change our world. It would change our religions. It would change our concept of the universe and our place in it. It just goes back to what I'm saying. Like you just have to keep an open mind and realize that reality can change and change super quick. And, and uh, the ones that are able to adapt and roll with it are the ones that are more fluid and not so gnostic about things that are willing to accept that they may not know and, and not understand. I've got a cousin and her husband, he, he was a pilot and he went on to become an astronaut and he actually piloted the space shuttle three times. And one time he and I were doing a hike on Oahu. Uh, it was called sacred falls. You can no longer hike, do that hike because a big rock fell down and killed a bunch of people. So they now you can't do it at least legally, but on this hike, I said, Hey, tell me how you got involved in the air force. Tell me about the whole, you know, how you got selected, what you had to do to become an astronaut and this and that. And it was really interesting. But of course, one question I asked him was, Hey, do you ever see the UFO? And he said, yeah, one time that, uh, and he was talking about flying along. He was based out of England at the time. And he said they were, they were flying somewhere over one of the seas. I don't know where, where it was, but he says he just looked out and there was something there kind of beside him and it just took off in a direction and a speed that nothing on our planet could do that. And that's all he said. He goes, I don't have an, an answer for that. I don't have anything more than that. I just know what I saw. Yeah. Those things, <laughs> they can't be explained at least not yet. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and it's not just the air force pilots and these, you know, esteemed professionals, it's uh airline pilots and, you know, like it's just, I'm not saying that green men are real. I'm just saying like, this is just like another area that we kind of, you know, we just don't know, but at the same time, it's, it's something that if we keep an open mind to, we might uh, come to more discoveries, but definitely a fascinating subject for sure. I probably had a lot more time during the pandemic to kind of dive into this.
Grandparents and their, you know, their kids moved to Hawaii in uh, 1963. So my grandfather was in the water uh, drilling business in water wells, and so he uh, was assigned by the company to be in charge of the uh, 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 the operations 
uh, on the islands. So he spent the next uh, 40 years or so, you know, helping with the water infrastructure in, in Hawaii. And so, yeah, it just uh, kickstarted a love, a love affair that my family has um, with, with the island and the people. It's kind of funny. So my, my dad ended up uh, after, you know, um, he met my, my mom at BYU Hawaii and then they moved over back to the mainland and he finished school at BYU Provo and he ended up staying in the mainland in Hawaii and uh, California. But I have uh, aunts and uncles and cousins on the island still today. So it's kind of like, it kind of created this, uh, this, uh, this uh, knockoff. So like I have, we have the Ronald family on the islands and then we have the Ronald family on the, on the main, on the mainland. So it's, uh, it's funny to watch, you know, Facebook posts of my cousins uh, in Hawaii um, doing their thing, you know, paddleboard, like doing surfing and all, all the things that you guys do on the islands and kind of thinking, wow, you know, if I was born in his family on, on, on that side of the family, I would be doing this right now, but here I am stuck in, uh, <laughs> in American Fork, Utah. So it's, <laughs> It's just kind of funny to think of like the parallel realities that could have happened, but yeah, but you got lots of trips over there. Yeah, I did. I took lots of trips. Um, I uh, just have a lot of memories uh, in my childhood, you know, summers spending with my my grandparents. Um, They lived in Kalua. So on the, on the Eastern part of the, on the Oahu. So um, yeah, just, just memories, you know, my grand. My grandpa would, uh, when I was like a teenager, 16, 17, he would give me the keys to his truck and, you know, I could go to, uh, go surfing, you know, go to Waikiki and just drive around the island. So just, uh, lots of memories. Um, it shaped a lot of how I see life and, you know, just the aloha spirit. And I had a, I had a, a, a bishop that was from the islands, uh, in California. Um, a bishop, by the way, is, uh, kind of like a pastor or, a priest in the Mormon church. I just, uh, just growing up in that Aloha spirit has really shaped a lot on how I uh, view people in, 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 you know, kindness and, and compassion, compassion and all that. So just, I just love, I just love the islands. I just love um, everything about it. And Well, and that's where you got your appreciation for some of the Hawaiian music too. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I sent over some, uh, some music to you. I'm sure you just shared it with the, our listeners today, but I just love the the music, um, the sound of it, the, the lyrics. Um, it's just very soothing. It's kind of my uh, go-to place after a long day, you know, stressful day. It has a way of, you know, calming you down and, and uh, you know, just making you feel good. So You were talking about the Aloha spirit, and we've talked about this before. Do you remember when you're in church over there and they would say, brothers and sisters, Aloha. Yeah. <laughs> And, and, you know, then you come back to the mainland and then they don't do that. And it's like, it takes you back for just a moment to, oh yeah, yeah, I'm back over here now. And I don't know. I just, I, I know it probably doesn't, maybe the people in the islands don't appreciate it the way I mean it, but I just kind of felt a different vibe attending church in Hawaii than on the mainland. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I joked with uh, John Delane in one of my Mormon stories interview that if the church was like the church in Hawaii, I, I would probably still be in it just because of, <laughs> like, I don't, like, who cares about, you know, all the silly stuff in the 19th century and Joseph Smith. Um, I'm, I'm just here because of the barbecues and the Aloha spirit with the, with the ward. The community. 
<laughs> yeah, the community. Exactly. My like going back to my grandparents, they lived in Hawaii for 40 years. Uh, my grandma was the you know, just the World Relief Society president, the State Relief Society president. Like they were deeply involved in the, com- the uh, community over there. What happened was uh when they started in their mid-70s, so around you know, 2000 or so, right after my mission actually, um, they made the decision to move from the islands over to Las Vegas, where my dad was at the time. And they, the idea is they wanted to be closer to the mainland family in Utah and to do more genealogy and, you know, travel around the states and all that. That All that stuff been good. But I noticed that, like, they, like, to your point, what you mentioned, like, they started experiencing a different church in Las Vegas. It was more corporate, a little bit like, more cold. It wasn't, it wasn't the church that they left from the islands. So I think uh, that was probably one of their, their regrets was leaving the islands when they did. You know, they, they lost a lot of that spirit, a lot of that community that they experienced on the islands. So, yeah, that's just a thought. Um, but there really is, you know, a different church, a different church experience over there for sure. Hey, let's step back for a moment into your uh, kind of back into your into your high school years. So you were able to do lots of things because you had hearing aids, so you could participate in. So did you do any sports, Jeremy, or did you do any any music, or did you, um, uh, you know, what were some of your interests in, during high school years? So um, I've always been involved in soccer ever since I was a little kid. Um, so I was in uh, varsity soccer, but. The sports that I, was, that I really uh, excelled at was cross country. So I was on the uh, varsity cross country team and uh, varsity track team. My fastest for uh, my fastest uh, mile was uh, four minutes and forty three seconds. Wow! Um, and then my uh, cross country is about it's five k, so like three miles. Uh, my fastest was sixteen minutes and seven seconds, or something like that. But yeah, just, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. My situation in high school is really interesting because the school that I went to in Irvine, California, it's a university high school. So it's a couple blocks away from uh, UCI, University of California, Irvine. And yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) And um, my, the school is um, special because they have a deaf and hard of hearing program in one of the best in the country. So what that means is you it helps you to go mainstream what they talk about. Like the, I can go with the, the same classes as my hearing peers, but I would have like an interpreter in front of me to interpret uh, what the teacher's saying or get a little help with the note-taking kind of thing. But during my high school years, we lived in La Mirada, which was on the border of Orange County and LA County, but the school was in Irvine. <laughs> um, so for a couple of years, like in middle school to be just until I got my license, I had to take like uh, one of those buses, those yellow buses uh, to, get, to get taken home from school after like before school and after school. And because I lived so far away, I was probably one of the kids that lived the furthest away. I was the first to be picked up and the last to be dropped off. So I would be picked up like five in the morning and get to school around seven uh, after school, whatever it was, three o'clock, I wouldn't get home until five or six. So there's a lot of rush hour traffic, just sitting in that bus and all of that. When I got my license, it was a, it was a get out of jail card. 
I, I mean, I, I could start driving my dad's infinity or my truck or whatever. And it would just gave me so much freedom and just being able to um, get away from that bus. And so I started going to early morning seminary. So I would get up early, like 4.30 in the morning and to get there on time and early, uh, you know, seminary in Irvine. So I was a pretty dedicated uh, Mormon kid. I mean, to me, it wasn't just getting up early. I had to make room for rush hour traffic in California to get this, you know, seminary on time. So one time I got in a car accident um, and like basically a fender bender. And so my dad uh, would would joke with me. He was seeing the the wheels go, the wheels on the bus go around and around (laughs) because I had to get back on the bus again while the car was in the shop getting fixed. And so it was just funny thinking like I'm, I'm on the freeway, maybe the the five freeway, and I'm sitting there and there's people like looking in the bus, looking at me, probably feeling sorry. I'm just one of those handicapped kids. But they don't realize that the next week I'm zooming zooming on the freeway 80 miles per hour in infinity. (laughs) So it's just like people's perception. They don't know me. They don't understand my situation. And I think uh, one of my superpowers is I'm pretty underestimated. People kind of take a look at me, oh, you know, he's a deaf kid, nothing special. But they don't understand that, you know, there's like more depth to me. And, and I think my hearing condition has created a lot of uh, aspects for me, a lot of skill sets that I otherwise wouldn't have. You know, my ability to, to read body language, to understand people on a different level, I think, um, instead of just relying on you know, words and, you know, what people are saying verbally. So, but yeah, that's just a funny story that I, I kind of chuckle at. But uh, yeah, my high school years were, 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 you know, I really enjoyed it. I actually, I actually enjoyed high school more than college. Um, I went to BYU, so that's probably why it wasn't really a party school. It's a party school now, it's, which is hilarious. If you see like one of the, uh, the party school list, BYU is listed now. I'm not sure what happened. Maybe the younger generation are not taking the religion as, as seriously as, you know, you and I took it in our youth. I don't know. thought that was pretty funny. But, yeah, I enjoyed my high school years. I, I'm an Eagle Scout. And um, church was a huge, huge part of my my uh, my teen years. Huge. I was, well, and, uh, and you went on a mission. Now, did you did you do any BYU before the mission, or, or you know, kind of had that year in between, you know, high school and going on the mission? Well, so funny story is that I I actually uh, so I joked that I flunked kindergarten and I stayed the next year in kindergarten. The story behind that is I was diagnosed with hearing loss around that time, so they put on hearing aids, and so I had to learn how to pronounce words and do all that stuff. So they, they decided to just give me back just to make sure I was on a solid foundation before starting elementary school. When I graduated high school, funny story is I, I went to, uh, I got my endowment in the middle of senior year. Mm-hmm. So I'm walking around campus in high school with, with garments and <laughs> it, it, it just, it's just really funny to me thinking that like, I thought, you know, I had this, I just felt like, you know, special because I had these undergarments and walking around in, in high school with, and it was kind of awkward in the locker rooms, um, you know, after cross country or whatever. Hey, those are cool board shorts you got on there, Jeremy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. These kids were like WTF, what's going on here? But, <laughs> and so, yeah, um, I, uh, I got, yeah. So I got my endowment in the middle of the senior year and then, 
we uh, when I graduated in June of that year, actually in May, I believe it was, I got my mission call. Actually, April. And I got my no, it was May, I think. And I got my mission call to New York City. So it was kind of cool to go around high school and letting kids know, you know, my friends know then. And I knew exactly what I was going to do after graduation. I'm going to New York City to uh, serve the Lord for two years. Yeah. And so after the, after I graduated, my dad and brothers, we went on a church history tour. So we started in Boston and went all the way to basically uh, Missouri, all the, all the church uh, landmarks in between. So just going through that experience and Learn, learning what I thought was church history, you know, increased my testimony of the restoration and got me more excited to um, start missionary service. But, but yeah, I was called to serve a mission um, in the American Sign Language mission in New York City. So my entire mission uh, in New York was uh, in Manhattan in the South Bronx, just, uh, you know, serving deaf people. I did some, you know, hearing discussions here and there with hearing people, but uh, my focus was with the deaf people. and But yeah, my mission was a very transformative experience. It, you can imagine just being in New York City, it's the melting pot of the world. So it really expanded my mind on different cultures and different ways, di- you know, different ways of uh, living life and just meeting all these different people, seeing, you know, poverty and wealth and going into apartments in the Bronx where they had like an open can of beans that's all they had in the refrigerator comparing that to going in some of these really really nice apartments in manhattan fifth avenue uh, park avenue and so just just uh just the whole spectrum just seeing the whole spectrum of, of humanity really really expanded my my understanding of life uh i grew grew up real quick uh during those two years so yeah did you, learn, did you think, know asl when you went or did you did they send you to learn it um, I knew I knew ASL, but I wasn't very good at it. Like I, I could like understand it, but I couldn't really express it that well because I'm I, I'm just used to talking. And so, going on uh, my mission in New York really uh, refined and really improved my uh, ability to do sign language. So, um, yeah, got a lot of benefits from my mission. Um, I really enjoyed it. I know there's people, especially ex Mormons, that talk about how they regret their missions or they wasted their time. Uh, and I, I see that and I can definitely empathize and relate to that. But my mission like changed my life personally, aside from religion. Just my like I mentioned, my understanding of humanity and my ability to um, use sign language more. And uh, when I came back home from a mission, I was very much in what I call a deaf mode. So I was very big on, you know, deaf culture and, and uh, you know, um, I was frustrated that my hearing loss was getting worse. So what's interesting is that when I was first diagnosed with hearing loss, I was more on the, on the mild spectrum. Uh, you know, it wasn't like, it wasn't severe. It was just, it was what they call a progressive hearing loss. So each year over my youth, my hearing would get worse and worse. So there was a place that I would go to, it's called House Year Institute in Los Angeles. So it's world renowned for all things hearing loss. Uh, Ronald Reagan and several other different presidents, for example, have gone to house here to get to get their hearing checked and, and uh, uh, treated. Every year I would go, and I would go in the, 
the hearing booth to get my hearing tested. And every year, my hearing's getting worse and worse and worse. And I have to get my hearing aids adjusted. And um, so it's kind of like probably one of the more depressing uh, parts of my year was just going in to find out, yeah, my hearing's getting worse. So after my mission was basically probably when my hearing was the worst it's ever been. I kind of... I kind of talked, I, I joked about this with my wife, but I would, I joked that that was my first, that was my first faith crisis. So, and that was the first cold that I escaped. And what I mean by that is that the, the that community is beautiful and it has a lot of beautiful aspects on it, but it also has some ugly parts to it as well. And the ugly parts is they don't like it if you, or this is true back then, it, it's different now. People have chilled out, but but especially with cochlear implants, they just, when you go get a cochlear implant or you consider getting one, they, it's almost like you're a traitor to the community. Like the deaf community is not good enough for you. Like what's, what's you know, like you, you want to go, you want to go become hearing now? Is that what you're trying to do? So, and so I had to do the struggle of understanding cochlear implants and re- rethinking my, my place in the deaf community and so going through that process, I was I was ostracized by a lot of people in the community for choosing to get a cochlear implant. So almost like a foreshadow of things to come relating to religion. But right. um, yeah, I didn't write a letter to uh, to the deaf community or anything like that. But um, <laughs> it definitely uh, it showed me you know you gotta you gotta do what's right for yourself instead of what's right for other people. If I had way too much of what they think of me and being ostracized by the community instead of doing what's right for me by getting the cochlear implants, my life would be just completely different. And I had no regrets in doing it, but that's just something I kind of look back on, like the courage that it took to do that. And uh, I think just seeing some of the elements that were in play that that were later kind of, I guess, maybe help me have the courage to examine uh, my religion, if you will. Having the uh, experience of being deaf and needing assistance to be able to hear, and, and these things everybody takes for granted that we can do, I, I think it's like a lot of things in life, unless you're personally affected by it, you know, you don't really think about it. And, you know, my brother broke his neck and became paralyzed and was in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. And so I all of a sudden noticed handicap people more, or for sure, I would never park in a handicap spot, you know, because people yeah. like my brother need it. And if they don't have it, they got to park and then roll all the way in. And um, Judy and I just watched a movie and maybe you've seen it. It's called Coda. And oh, yeah. it was awesome. It was great. It was awesome. I mean, it also gave a different perspective on um, a family. And, mm-hmm. and, in, and in that movie, I don't want to, I won't give anything away, but basically the movie is, it's about you know, kind of this family where everybody's deaf except one daughter. And you'll see her like in a restaurant, you know, she's ordering and doing things for the the family. And, and so it was just a very, very different look into a world that I'm not a part of. I don't see, and we just don't notice because it, it doesn't affect us. So yeah, no doubt that I'm sure, like you say, when you get the cochlear implants, all of a sudden now these, the deaf world is like, Oh, okay. that That's how it's yeah. going to be. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> so I get it. Yeah. Yeah, Coda is great. Um, it's it's realistic uh, in a lot of ways. My own kids are Codas. My wife uh, is hard of hearing herself, but we don't. We make it a 
I mean, there's times where my kids kind of have to help me interpret when mom's gone and I, you know, or I don't have my implants on or whatever, but I can definitely relate to that, that movie. Um, there, there are families like that where the hearing kids have to do a big, uh, you know, they have to carry a lot of weight to help the family communicate with the hearing world. And so it's, it's a good insight to the, some of the struggles that deaf people have to um, go through. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, cochlear implants is, an interesting phenomenon because it, it was invented in the 1960s, but it really wasn't perfected in really uh, mainstream as it is probably until the 2000s. I mean, I, I had a friend in high school that got hers in 1995, 96, but it still had a lot of work that, that needed to be done. It wasn't um, it wasn't as great as, as it is now, if you will. But yeah, the problem with cochlear implants is that in a lot of th- in a lot of ways, it is a threat to the deaf community. It has the potential of eradicating deaf culture as we know it, like 50 years from now, for example. Because the reality is, is that about 90% of deaf children are born to hearing adults, hearing parents. And these are hearing parents that have no clue on deaf culture, don't or any experience in it, or any uh, connection to it. And so where they go to get their information to treat this is in the, the medical community. And the medical community is uh, obviously biased towards cochlear implants as a treatment. And you can see videos on YouTube. You can see these kids, uh, like these babies, mm-hmm. that were born deaf, and they get the implants. And you fast forward to when they're 10 years old, they can talk like the hearing kids. They, they, I mean, it's just phenomenal. And you you know what their life would have been like without it. They would be just signing this instead and not talking. With that said, it's not like perfect. They still miss out and think like they, they can't hear everything and sometimes they feel locked out. So it's not perfect, but cochlear implants really do help you to functionally understand and hear people. Yeah, so it's just a really interesting debate or issue that's going on it's not it's not so bad it's not as bad as it was back in the 80s and 90s more and more deaf people are becoming accepting to this reality but um it's just uh it's just interesting Oh, 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 oh,
your wife did you guys know each other in high school or did you meet her after your mission uh how did you guys meet so uh we, we laugh about this we met in uh, the wilkinson center at byu <laughs> yeah <laughs> so we we met uh through mutual friends yeah and so she she has some some hearing loss similar to me and she can talk she's a she's a nurse postpartum nurse so she's not deaf but she she does have some hearing loss yeah, so we met uh, at BYU, and we had a, a typical uh, BYU courtship. We got married, like, got married probably 10, 11 months later in the San Diego Temple. Uh, oh, that's that's so, a long BYU courtship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just I just laugh about it now. But you know what? It ended up working out okay for us. We, yeah. we, uh, we've been married for 17 years now, so. 
Right. On. Um, Congratulations on that. I mean, any more, I mean, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you start to get past 10 years, you're doing pretty good. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, one, we had a great marriage. Uh, the, the whole uh, leaving the church thing was definitely a, a ride for the both of us, for sure. Um, but, you know, luckily for us, our marriage wasn't based on the church. It was based on a friendship and understanding of, uh, you know, the impact of hearing loss and, you know, a shared language like we both know uh, ASL. And sometimes when we don't want people knowing what we're talking about, we just sign to each other. <laughs> they think we're talking about them, but that's just our marriage is based on other things besides the church. And that really helped a lot. Uh, I think where a lot of people can get in trouble is that they marry basically just for the church. And when that paradigm collapses, then they have to really reevaluate the foundation of the marriage. So when you no longer are part of a high demand religion, whether it's Mormonism or, or, uh, you know, Jehovah witness or, you know, Seventh Day Adventist, whatever it doesn't matter. Whenever if you leave that religion, all of a sudden your life really changes in many ways. Being part of a high demand religion, you have all your your week pretty much mapped out for you in many regards. I mean, you have a lot of meetings and you have a lot of things to go to, and you have even when you're not there, you're supposed to be doing A B C D at home with your scriptures and your prayers mm-hmm. and all these different things. And all of a sudden, once you're out of that, it's like wow. I've got a second Saturday now to mess around with on the weekend and all these different things. So, you know, I just look at it like this. Most of my family still is is part of various religions, but mostly Mormonism. And that's fine. You know, if that's if that brings them joy and happiness and and uh or or, or my friends who I've got a buddy here in the St. George area, believe it or not, that is very Catholic and he loves his religion and tells me it's the only true one there is and and I'm happy for him. So I mean, I have no problem with that. So I think that back to what we started with on this whole subject about this may be our only life. I, I always come back to that because I'm a, a very optimistic person. I'm a, I'm a glass half full guy. And so I just want to have fun. I want people to, I want to associate with people who are like-minded and want to have a good time and want to get the most out of life. And, and uh, you know, because this could be it back to that again, it, this could be it. Yeah. I'm on the same page, brother. Um, you know, like being the the guy behind the CS that a lot of people, especially uh, Mormons, have the assumption that I just want to tear down everybody's faith and get everybody out of religion. There have been people that I've actually told, you know what, I think you're actually better inside the religion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, like, you know, God bless you. Um, but I, I just don't think that this is a productive conversation. I think uh, if you're happy, awesome. If you're not happy and you're having questions and doubts, then, you know, maybe we can have a conversation again. But at this point, I feel that it's not in your interest or like it's against your safety and well-being to deconstruct your religion at this point. And I just don't think that this is something that you should uh, pursue any further. I've had conversations with uh, many Mormons like that, including my own grandfather, who was in his midst. Uh, his mid eighties, like he, he came to me and he asked, you know, Hey, can I, what do you think about me reading rough stone rolling? And I said, you know what, grandpa, are you happy in the church? Like, do you enjoy going to, you know, your meetings and going to the temple and all that? And he said, yeah, I enjoy it. And I said, well, you know what? I, I would leave it alone. I don't think uh, it's in your best interest to do so. And so, and I was okay with, 
him uh, buying the narrative that I'm just kind of like, he didn't buy it, I don't think, but he, like just the, the church narrative that I'm, you know, a lost soul that, that lost my way and lost my testimony and like just neg- a, neg- a negative perspective. And I was okay with him taking that on because that would, that, that helped him to stay in the church, if you will. And so the last thing I wanted was my 86-year-old grandpa to have a crisis of faith after a lifetime of service. So I just, I'm more gray with life. I'm more understanding that, yeah, the church has problems and it doesn't make sense, but there are people that get benefit from it and it answers questions for them and it provides purpose in their life and and they know what's best for them. And and I, I'm just more cautious about, like I'm more cautious about the, the, the well-being, if you will. But yeah, it's just, it, it, it's hard. It's hard with these high-demand religions. This is true for other high-demand religions as well. Scientology, Scientology, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses and all that. It's just, I, it's just tough. It, it really affects families and marriages and all that. Like to me, what's the most important thing is doing everything I can to keep marriages intact and families intact. I come from a family that, like I come from, my parents were divorced when I was about three years old. So I understand the the impact of, you know, a broken home and, you know, and so I, one of my values or high values is to do everything I can to help uh, couples stay together so that their families stay intact. And I've seen uh, a lot of people helped with the CS letter. Um, of course, there's people that have been affected by this, you know, the, the church's truth crisis, which is what I call it. And I, I put the blame of that squarely on the founder of the religion, as well as the the leaders, you know, first presidency and the, and the quorum of the 12 that, that know these problems, but they're still perpetuating the fraud, I guess, if you want to say that. So, yeah, I always say that <laughs> I wouldn't want to be those guys if there is if there is somebody there <laughs> when it comes to after this life, but, uh, but Hey, that's for them. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Um, I think well, I already knew I was with you. So we've had these discussions, like I say in the past. So I mean, it's, it's very interesting though. And life itself is interesting just because of the different dynamics and the different circumstances that each of us has in that going back to, again, the 67 stories that people have shared on my podcast, I'm just always blown away by the, just the things that people go through in their lives that you would never really know. I mean, if somebody saw you at Walmart or something, they wouldn't know you had hearing issues. I mean, unless you, unless you can see something, you you just don't pick up on it. And you don't, and that's why I, I always say, just be kind to everybody. You don't know somebody that's just going through a divorce or somebody who's lost a child or lost a spouse or, or just, you know, had a faith crisis, whatever it might be, they're, they're going through something and it's just easy to be nice to people. And that's, that's, the, I think that, uh, you know, what we should all be doing. Yeah. I love it. It's so true. Yeah. That, I, 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 that's my experience as well. I've been able to talk to a lot of people, especially Mormons and those going through faith crises and all that. Just be kind to them. You just think people just don't realize there are a lot of people out there that are struggling with one thing or another or a bunch of things. And I think we just need a lot of kindness, uh, especially after these last couple of years with the pandemic. And, 
yeah, that's the thing that keeps popping up. It's, kindness is so important. It's such a, it's just so important. Well, I sure appreciate you taking the time today. And I know you're busy. And I know that, like you say, you got a lot of people wanting your time and, and uh, wanting to talk to you. If I, the last question I'm going to ask you is over the next, you know, 20, 30 years of your life, 50, maybe, who knows, what are some of the things you still want to do? What are some things that you're looking forward to or, or that you'd like to do someday? Maybe that's on your bucket list. To me, the most important thing in my life is my family, my wife and kids. I just, I love to do everything with them. We love to travel. We love to play games. We love to do, like, watch movies together. So I really enjoy uh, parenthood, and like, I'm deeply involved in them doing couples. You know, basically, there's a soccer mom stereotype. Well, I'm the soccer dad stereotype. I, I'm driving around in the minivan. So I enjoy watching them grow up and seeing their struggles and their, 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 their wins and, and, and all that. So yeah, I, the things I want to do, I, I just want to, I always love new challenges because that helps me to grow as a person and help me to find new things about myself. Um, I love to travel. So there's, there's trips that my wife want to take. Uh, I don't know if you ever heard of the Viking uh, Lion Cruise, but they have, they have several cruises in, in Scandinavia that you can go through Norway and, and, you know, you start from Ireland, uh, start from Ireland, I think it is. Um, but just, you know, those kind of cruises, I would love to go to Japan, um, New Zealand, and of course, Hawaii. I, I just never can get enough of that. Yeah. I, I just always love learning. It goes back to what we talked about before, just keeping a, an open mind so that you can always fill up your cup a full cup just spills over. But if you always make sure that your your cup is empty in terms of being open-minded and willing to learn about new uh, new things in this world and in new cultures and new way of, you know, philosophies and ways, ways of thinking. Yeah, I'm just always, uh, I just want to make sure that I'm always on that quest of self-discovery and, and you know, learning. And I'm still going to get you down here to do a couple hikes too. <laughs> yeah, I would love to do that. Thank you. I mean, thank you and, and Judy for opening your home to to me. Uh, really, I mean, that was a very memorable time and really enjoyed myself and really looking forward to uh, seeing you guys again. And and we too. Yeah, it's it's these these friendships that you create in life. They're important, and you know, maintaining them and keeping them active. And I, I have a feeling one of these times, Jeremy, we'll make it to Hawaii at the same time. So we'll, we'll have some fun over there. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be awesome. That'll be awesome. All right, buddy. Well, Hey, thanks again for being on the podcast. Just want to let the listeners know that like I said, this is episode one of season three, and we're going to do these uh, every two weeks, just like we've done here the last year or so. And actually now two years. So starting the third year, and I'm not sure how long we'll keep going, but at least another year. Everyone just I hope I hope it I hope it goes on for a long time. I think it's awesome what you're doing. Uh if I recall, you started this during the pandemic, like just shortly after it started or but first episode was in May of 2020, so that's why we're starting season 3 now. Wow. Yeah, congratulations on that. I think this is awesome. I I, I think we need uh, uh, stories uh, uh, you know, stories make the world go around, especially just hearing uh, other people's stories and the perspective. And I think, I think stories are just so powerful and they really help us to basically put ourselves in other people's shoes, which in turn helps us to be more kind and compassionate to other people. I agree hundred percent. I appreciate that. Thanks, Jeremy. All right, everyone. 
See you in two weeks. Another interesting story. Aloha. Take care, everybody. Funny how time just slips away